if anyone's going to do this, I'm going to. I'm third generation cop. I'll look into it for you. Like, I promise you, there's no corruption. Nothing's happening. Um, and then came back to me and said, I'm so sorry. The corruption is that high up. I'm so disgusted. I'm leaving the police force. And please don't contact me again. Trigger warning for everyone who's listening to Quinn Carnegie's courageous story. Her story is about her experience with human trafficking, which entails witnessing rape, genitalia, and being drugged, and so much more. Please, please, please take care of yourself as you're listening, and there will be information in the show notes for support, guidance, and anything that you need regarding human trafficking. So let's dive in and hear Quinn's story. Hello, my wonderful BCs. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to the Courageous Inner Beast, the place where you get charged up with courage by calling in your inner beast. Today, we have Quinn Carnegie. Hi, Quinn. It's nice to have you. Um, can you please introduce yourself? Oh, sure. Um, my name's Quinn Carnegie, I'm author of Choreographed Court Case uh, Memoir, A Life of Corruption. And um, gosh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh no, it's, that's that's all we need. It's totally okay. <laughs> um, so, thank you for being here. And so, what is your one creative story that you would like to share with us? Um, so I have been through a lot. I have um, been a victim of human trafficking. Um. Yeah. And um, that um, came about as a result of um, I was in a pretty vulnerable state at that period in time. Mm -hmm. um, so my um, my mum had passed away probably about or several years earlier. And so it was just myself and my daughter. So I didn't have that extended family looking out for me. And I also, which I didn't realize at the time, um, I also had um, a uh, B12 deficiency. So I was very easily manipulated and my when you B when your B12 is that low, then your brain isn't really working properly. Um, so um the more like just something out of nowhere, or do you always like struggle with that growing up too? No, completely, completely random. Um I think um someone said to me afterwards, when you're when someone close to you dies, it can have like really big um consequences on the body and they're not always the same for everyone so it could have been as a result of the shock when your mum passed away that that's what's caused the drop in 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 your nutrient levels or mm. um so um my doctor said to me your levels should be up at least 500 and even though it's still in, technically in range in Australia, my levels got as low as about 193, somewhere around there, 98. Um, 
And yeah, it, it, the, my doctor said to me, you, you want to keep your levels between 500 and sort of 700. Um, mm -mm -mm -mm. Yeah. Email, I think they call it. Um, so I had met Sam Worthington and through high school and he had been in and out of my life and it was quite a um, uh, dysfunctional relationship, let's put it that way. Um, we were friends and, well, I thought we were friends and it started with me being... Um, uh, waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like I was being like electrocuted basically is what it felt like and this went on for a period of three months and I was calling the police like all the time and getting so pissed off I even had one police officer that was saying have you taken your meds I'm like, oh excuse me, I don't need to take fucking meds. There's someone on my roof. Like, I can hear noises. There's something going on. And um, I kept calling police. I had some elderly next-door neighbours. And because, like, it got to the point where I was literally thinking like I was going crazy because, you know, I would literally wake up in pain and couldn't, couldn't see anyone I couldn't I could hear noises but um in the end someone said tell your neighbor tell them like because at least they can keep an eye on you too so I told my neighbor um and <coughs> excuse me um so she said please please don't ever feel like you you know, need to be there alone, like um, getting to the point literally where I would like try and hide under the table or like to try and like stop this happening because I couldn't figure out how it was happening and what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so one night I told my neighbour and, and she said, call me, like if it happens again, call me. And I called her. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. I didn't call her. I texted her and um, because I didn't want to make noise on my end if there was someone there and scare them off. I wanted to try and um, catch them. And she rang me and I answered the phone and she said, I sent John out there. I sent um, and he... Um, said there's someone on your roof. You need to call the police. I saw another neighbour saw saw a person on your roof. They saw someone on my roof. Ah, see, so see, it, it wasn't you at all. I'm so mad. I'm so definitely mad. wasn't me. I know. They called the police. Right. They found. They so the police got there straight away. They saw something, and before they even like someone yelled out to me, "Stay in the house." Because yeah. before they'd even, um, you know, knocked on the door, they'd seen something and they'd taken off after this person. Yeah. Now, they ended up catching Sam Worthington with a cattle prod. Mm. 
And for anyone that thinks that that's not possible, he was on my roof for three months. Well, it was, it was 10 weeks, so almost three months. Almost every night where, I kid you not, I could feel that through the roof. So when I was in my bed and it was literally, it was like it was following me around the house. So I could get up and walk around the house. But because of the B12 and my brain literally wasn't working properly at that time, they're like, do you know this person? I'm like, oh, my God, hi. And I hugged him. I hugged him. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so this is this is where it started. And from there, it it I think he obviously realised, like, that there was something going on and got me to sign this. It was like a, I think it was like five-page sex agreement of all these different terms that I, 90% of them I had to look up because I didn't even know what they were, mm -hmm. right? Now, this is me thinking that I was getting into a more formal relationship with him. Like this is how this, but this is, with B12, some of the symptoms are like sexually avert and like I would jump in the car, get five minutes down the road and not know where I was going. I would literally have to pull over on the side of the road because I didn't know where I was going, right? Mm. So that's how easily manipulated I was into signing this agreement. I don't have a copy of this agreement. I was never given a copy of this agreement. My understanding is, and I've heard this from someone else, so I haven't heard it directly, is that he either gave it or sold it on to somebody else, and that is how I then became a victim of human trafficking. So I wonder, like, I would be drugged on every occasion and then I would wake up in various locations. I've been physically abused. I have been tortured. I have been uh, witnessing murder on more than one occasion. Um, so I, on one occasion, um, was taken on set um, yeah. of the dressmaker. Well, what appeared to be the dressmaker. What? And they were showing me around and I said, what's in that room? There was a door that they didn't take me into. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you want to go in there? We can go in there. But one thing I should also mention, whatever they were drugging me with, it took away my peripheral vision. So yeah. I literally had this like very small window of yeah. what like so I never actually even though I could hear voices um I never saw who was drugging me yeah because, um because you only saw what was in front of you literally what was not, in front of me not anywhere like you said the prefer your peripheral was not in sight during that time no. yeah um so this one time they opened up this door and turned on the light um, and there were five tables set out 
in the shape of, uh, sorry, like a on the top of a dice, like in five, you know, like one in each corner and one at the back corner and one in the middle. Yeah. And there was a stage at the top, like at the front of the room, and the top left was empty. There was a table, but there was no, there was nothing else there. Yeah. The three tables around the outside, there were other women that had been drugged and were passed out being raped. The table in the middle was, I can only say a 16, maybe 17-year-old boy that was also drugged and passed out and bent over and being raped. And so mostly we were just like teenagers around or just a wide range? A wide range. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I remember seeing him and thinking, this is, this is what's going to happen to me, yeah. you know, and, and just being like fearful and angry and, um, isolated, not knowing how to stop it. Yeah. Um, and I tried looking for a bathroom so I could try and see if I could lock myself in. Yeah. And they obviously had thought that that is what, you know, people would try and do. And um, the lock had been taken out of the back of the bathroom door. So I could feel myself getting sleepy with whatever they'd drugged me with or given me yeah um and oh sorry let me go back a bit I'm jumping forward so when I was in there and the person I recognized the person in the far right hand corner um as Kevin Spacey Um, so it, it makes me incredibly upset and angry when I've tried to get in contact with lawyers. I've tried, uh, you know, speaking to so many people and then hearing on the news that, um, whatever trial he's going through and, you know, what's happening, he's been found not guilty and, um yeah i've tried for so long to get the word out there and what's happened and you know what i've experienced and clearly i'm not the only one that has experienced it because i've witnessed these other people that have been drugged and passed out on tables yeah. so surely surely other people have memories too at some point they must have seen something to be able to connect the dots yeah um i was able to not only identify him but close enough to him to then see that he was maybe six inches and i could he'd literally pulled himself out of this whoever he was raping and was 
standing in front of me with an erection and naked. Oh, well, not naked. He had pants on, but obviously down enough that I could see his erection. And when you can see he's maybe six or seven inches and wet and not wearing a condom, um, yeah, I've given. I, I even went to police with the information, and still nothing. Crickets. Um. After years of like, go, like this has literally been going for years, like two thousand and ten or eleven, somewhere around there. Um. I someone said to me. why don't you go and speak to or ring up the smaller airports because it's not going to happen through a major airport. It would be too difficult. And so I went to, um, I lived near one of these airports and I happened to be passing one day and went in there and I just saw this person and and they're like well send send through a um a photo of yourself and i'll check it against our records but i'm fairly confident i remember you being in here the other day um so not only are there flight records there's a passport photo of me with a different name underneath but police won't do anything about it so how fucking bad is the corruption when police won't get off their ass and do their fucking job mm. like, it just hell. it make uh, I'm I can't get enough get through to like how incredibly frustrating that is well, it's been years yeah. years and them trying to make me look crazy and send me to mental health institutes and and put referrals in when you go for a search warrant. So then you're too scared to express your anger because if you do, then they're going to turn around and say that you're crazy yeah. and try and lock you up for non-existent mental illness when I'm just trying to get justice. I'm just trying to get what is rightfully shouldn't be fucking happening to start with. Yeah, and you said you said it's been like 2010, 2011 now. So it's yes. been well over ten years now since like well, yes. since when it happened to you, and now where it is now, and you're still going to the police, and you're still like looked down upon or like, oh, you're crazy. What are you doing? Like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make attention, all that kind of crap. It's like, mm, no, you just like you said, you just want justice for yourself and for all the women, and I mean, not women, just even like kids or whoever whatever yep. ages you saw during that time or even now too maybe i don't know you know i'm just trying to get justice for you and for them and then they'll believe you what the and hell when, um when i asked for them to do a search warrant yeah they um put in a referral to the mental health ward and um Thankfully, they actually took the time to verify it 
But it scared me enough that I left the country. I'm like, I'm not going to be locked up for a non-existent mental illness because I can't prove it because police won't do their fucking job. Yeah. How can I how can I prove what's going on? Yeah. When I can't I can't force them to do their job and I don't know how else to go about it. Where do you go from there? Yeah. Um so um the mental health place ended up um confirming it and they um rang me and said we're really sorry that you're going through this we've confirmed it we would normally send you to police but clearly that's not an option so again where do you go from there i've tried i've tried the um what is it national royal commission for corruption um, I think that's what it's called, and um, for is that for military and something rather, um, and NAC, the National Anti-Corruption Commission, and I still I get nowhere. Yeah. So when you've been to so many people, and I even made friends with a cop at one point who tried investigating for me, and was like. If anyone's going to do this, I'm going to. I'm third-generation cop. I'll look into it for you. Like, I promise you, there's no corruption. Nothing's happening. Um, and then came back to me and said, I'm so sorry. The corruption is that high up. I'm so disgusted. I'm leaving the police force. And please don't contact me again. That one policeman. That one policeman. So does that not tell you? Like, if he doesn't want to be involved, to me, he seems scared. Like, they have a, oh, I think there's something in their contracts that they're legally bound, that they're not allowed to talk to, talk about anything that they've, you know, witnessed through privacy and and that sort of thing. Uh, is, is that, yeah, I think I will, yeah, I think I've not, yeah, that kind of agreement where it's like, but even after they've left the police force, but if there's corruption, surely there should be something in there that then allows them to go, you know, above that clause and go, hang on a minute, that's not right. Yeah. So what do we have to do? What policies do we have to change within our, within our nation to be able to make it okay for whistleblowers and whether that's police or whoever else to be able to come forward and actually get justice because clearly it's not just me that it's happening to yeah um yeah so i'm not sure i yeah I... and, and that's why i um i started well i put i didn't put everything in there because you know there's um there's a lot that's happened but i wrote um you know i'd get up every morning and i'd sort of put down as much detail as i can and 
um, sort of like, let, let's just put this half an hour every morning and I wrote a choreographed court case, a memoir, A Life of Corruption. Yeah. And so I have put as much as I can in there and that for me was an insurance policy. You know, like if something is to happen to me, it's out there. Yep. It's out there. And I, that's all I can do. You know, it's, it's, it's about getting justice, not just for me, for the other people that are getting raped. And what about for those people that have been murdered? Yeah. Because obviously someone's taking the law into their, well, more than one someone, but there's, there's people that are taking the law into their own hands. And that's not okay. Yeah, it's not. So one of the people said to me um, in, my, in my book when he had information and believed that he had been, um, was being deliberately killed off, and he said to me, please, like, I just want my story told. I just want for those that I love to know that um, that this has happened and and how I've died and tell them I love them. Yeah. What was their um, name? His name was Olivier. Mm -hmm. Um. And he said to me, you're not going to remember. I'm like, yeah, I will remember. I'll remember because my best friend's daughter is named Olivia. I will remember. Yeah. Um, and of everything, like, of everything that's happened, they're the ones that I find the most difficult to deal with. Um. Like I said, it's not about me. It's about something much greater. Yeah. It's, I understand and I feel, I have no words, but I know I'm here with you, Quinn. And I am so thankful that you're, that you're here and that you're sharing your story for us to hear and you know knowing that you're letting us know that hey this happened to me like hear my story and if your stories are similar like hey let's talk or just be here for each other yeah yeah and so thank you thank you thank you for sharing and I know you have more, and then we have like we don't have much time. But <laughs> thank you, and of course I really want to continue this conversation and just because this is not just something that just like something happened to you a long time ago. It's still ongoing to this day, and so I mean we can also continue this conversation another time as well. But I just want to say thank you. We thank, thank you. you so much for this. Well, um, yeah, thank you. Um, please, um, if I could give you the link for my book, if you wouldn't mind putting that 
in the show notes appreciate yeah, it definitely and um as we're closing right now I know that was that was heavy for all of us and I appreciate you sharing this it's a lot and also courageous of you to share it as well too to do to do this so um so kind of to ending it what is your what do you want to share with us like a takeaway from this experience even as it's still ongoing um don't be afraid to voice your concerns because sooner or later someone's got to listen and um you don't know how that's going to happen you know it might be through you know a conversation with a friend and then they know someone and and then you know then the truth comes out you just it's important to keep talking until such time as you get heard yeah i i don't have no words for this i'm just i'm really just all in my feels for you and for all the people that you've witnessed during that time during this time too just you just want justice and so yeah. thank you thank you for sharing that and yeah thank you for allowing me to share my story it's um it's one that i would and, and and the other thing is with that i would like to be able to have that closure and to be able to close that chapter of the book and go you know what i'm done with that i can move on now yeah thank you thank you for being here Quinn really appreciative thank you for being here on this, on this episode with us so thank you um I've also um started a podcast uh, manifestation motivation and passion um so please have a look on Spotify or iHeart Apple etc um mm -hmm. I'd love for you to have a look We'll do. I'll definitely let know our listeners know that for sure. So, yeah. okay. awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please a review wherever you're listening. And, um, and also, please look out for new episodes every Tuesday on The Courageous Inner Beast. Thank you for listening in. If you empathize with this conversation and would like to know more about Queen Carnegie and who she is, please look in the show notes for more information and for the links. <laughs>